Jesus. Praise God. Yes, you can be seated tonight in Jesus' name again. Thank you for being here. In Jesus' name, I know that uh, Wednesday nights sometimes can be a very fast-paced night for many of you, and um, I'm thankful that you make the time for, for God to, to come here, uh, to get off of work. I know that sometimes it's tiring, and um, our flesh says that we want to just go home and sleep or take a nap or whatever after a long day's work, but um, we know that we want to fill ourselves spiritually as well, and so it counts uh, significantly. It definitely does. It's, it's similar to, to fasting in some ways, I think, uh, with that. So put our flesh under subjection. We tell it that we're not going to listen to it, and we, uh, we make it to church, and we're here in Jesus' name, and so we're so thankful for all of that. Just a few quick announcements uh, before we get going here. Uh, just a reminder from Sunday morning, we made that announcement. We're trying to keep everybody safe and that sort of thing. And, and uh, the youth are across the way over at uh, Long's Plumbing. So uh, Brother Scott so graciously let them use and borrow his uh, business over there for the time being. Um, and so we're, we're thankful that way they can have a little bit more room and spread out. So we're thankful for that, brother. We truly appreciate you letting them do that. And uh, I know you don't like honor, but we definitely want to give you honor for, uh, for letting us do that. And so the youth are over there. The Sunday school classes, I know, are continuing to adjust in the back. Um, again, we do ask that anybody out here, we are not requiring anybody to wear a mask, but we are saying that if you hang out after service in this building, that we would prefer that you do wear a mask if you're uh, in close proximity of people, um, that six-foot distancing. And, and it's just safer to go outside where the wind's blowing. I mean, it blows stuff. The sun is there to eat that stuff up. So truly, uh, we can go out to, to those places. I, I do just want to remind you one thing, and Pastor Carnahan said it so nicely on Sunday morning, that it wasn't faith or fear that held Jesus on the cross. He wasn't uh, so fearful of what might happen if he didn't go to the cross that he went to the cross. No, that's not what held him on the cross. It wasn't faith that held him on the cross in that particular moment, but it was love for every single one of us. And we can ultimately apply that to the mask as well, that it's not out of fear that I'm wearing a mask. It's not necessarily out of faith that I'm wearing a mask, but it is out of my love for my brothers and my sisters, the people around me, that I'm going to wear that. And so I know that, uh, that some have said that they're just not going to go to certain businesses that require those things and all that. And I don't necessarily agree with the masks either, but I still put one on when I go to those businesses because I want to respect the people uh, that are there in Jesus' name. So that's all that we're asking. That's all that we're asking in this place. And we just want to honor God and continue having service uh, and not go back to live stream uh, in Jesus' name. So another announcement that we have, Sister Carnahan, it is her birthday. And so we want to make sure that she feels welcome today, and we are so thankful. We would have had a cake or something here for you, but it is, you know, we can't serve food around here right now. But you can tell her happy birthday. You can uh, encourage her, and so we're excited about that. One year uh, more of wisdom for us in Jesus' name, so we're, we're doing wonderful. And last but not least, we have Sheaves for Christ, and so uh, don't forget about that. This Sunday is the official offering day for that, so we will uh, probably be taking up an offering here during services and, and all of that. It goes to support so many great causes around the world, and um, this Sunday isn't the last day you can give. There will still be a couple days out, or a couple weeks after that that you can continue to fill your cans and bring those in, um, but we definitely want to support uh, missionaries. This is the only way, the only uh, fundraiser that gives them vehicles in the field. It's the only thing that supplies that and so um, you know it supplies airplanes and motorbikes and all sorts for them and and not only that but Tupelo Children's Mansion um, all these various places Lighthouse Ranch for Boys uh, all these different places where people are receiving the Holy Ghost and, and coming out of tragic situations and so we're thankful for all that it does for the young people um, around the world and it also blesses our youth group so much so uh, in many different ways as we're seeing during the season so we're thankful. We're thankful for that giving, and, and this is a very giving church, and so I'm thankful to be a part of it. I am encouraged uh, to be a part with you all, uh, absolutely setting records in our district all the time. So I'm thankful for that um, in Jesus' name. So awesome. Well, hopefully you all were able to get a, uh, either a booklet or a piece of paper with uh, the fill in the blanks and, and all of that sort of stuff. I don't know. I noticed on my notes a lot of these don't seem to be fill in the blanks anymore, so I don't know if it's similar on your books or, or whatnot. Um, but I definitely want to relay uh, this information to you, and it should be on the screen in, in these different places. If you ever happen to miss something, please let me know, and we can go back and cover it. Um, 
and uh, make sure that you get everything filled in there. And we're going to continue down with those questions that I, I think you have on your, your, uh, your slip there, so you can kind of get ahead a little bit and know what, what I'm going to ask, which is a good thing um, for, for you all in Jesus' name, so you're not put right on the spot or feel called out in some of those senses. So tonight we're going to be starting a new series, and it is the peace of God that we're going to be talking about. And this is, uh, again, exciting, uh, some good things that will help us to, to be Christians, to live the way that God has asked us to live. And so we truly want to just continue forward in the steps that God wants us to do in Jesus' name. And remember to live justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly before God. And tonight, again, we'll kind of tie right in with, with all of those. Those are really a good foundation to build upon on so many different ways in Jesus' name. So the God of peace is what we are speaking about here tonight. Scripture says this in Judges chapter 6 and 24, if I can get it to advance. There we go. Thank you, Sister C. It says, Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord, and he called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day it is yet Ophrah of the Abiezrites. I don't know, Sister C. Does anybody have any guesses on how to say that word there? Just do the first letter. Of the A. There we go. Yes. Capital A in, uh, in Jesus' name. It is a, a strong word there in all that different sense. But Gideon built an altar unto the Lord. I'll read you this background to kind of bring this into context, and, and it's going to kind of help us see this God of peace that we serve in Jesus' name. Gideon never saw himself as a warrior, a swordsman, or even a dynamic and influential leader. He was simply a survivor in a difficult day of Israel's history. Their enemy had become so strong and oppressive that they were in despair as to how they were going to survive. Just before harvest, the Midianites swarmed in and reaped the grain, leaving nothing behind. Cattle and sheep were taken, and the land was left barren before or after all of these attacks. The people of Israel cried out to God for help, and even though they had drifted from God's original purpose, when everything seemed to turn against them, they remembered their covenant. God heard their cry and set in motion the events that would bring relief from the oppression of Midian. Gideon, an unassuming young man, was threshing wheat in a wine press to hide from the Midianites. I'm struggling with words tonight. And to prevent them from rushing in to steal the grain that he had managed to reserve from the harvest. In his obscure hiding place, an angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, proclaiming, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon was not impressed. Maybe he was depressed. And he said, Pardon me, my Lord. He responded, he certainly did not see himself as a warrior, and now he questioned whether or not the Lord was present with him. Their ancestors had been delivered from Egyptian slavery, but now it felt as though they were again slaves in their own land, subjected to the abuse of their oppressors. Where was God inside of this situation? God had not bound, or God was not bound in the past, but rather focusing on the present and planning for their future. He reminded Gideon, I am with you, and I will be with you. Gideon was not convinced God had the right person. He confessed that this personal inferiority, that this weakness and fear, but God saw what he could become. And though it would be a process to take Gideon from where he was to where God wanted him to be, God was patiently leading him. Gideon's response to the initial encounter with God was to build an altar to worship. There he found that God was the Lord of peace, Jehovah Shalom. In the chaos of trouble, Gideon found solace in this relationship with the God of peace. So if you did not know what that word meant on the screen up there, Jehovah Shalom, it means the God or the Lord of peace. And this is the altar that he was building unto God. And this is what we're going to talk about tonight, that our God is a God of peace in so many different circumstances. I, I think we could all say that we're thankful for that, that we're thankful for trials and things that when we're in the midst of those, that we can find a place of peace to serve him and experience him. And so tonight, I am hoping that this lesson will begin to build that deeper inside of your lives, that, that it's easier to find a place of peace 
in the kingdom of God rather than having to go and search so many different uh, areas in order to find that or, or dig up so many different things in order to find the peace of God, but instead knowing that it is constantly there with us, that even though we may be going through particular circumstances or situations, we can immediately tap into the peace that God has for us. And the reason that this, this should excite us and the reason that we should desire this is that it is so much easier to hear God and connect with God and know what he is doing when we are able to feel his peace around us than if we are frantically trying to solve the situation or the problems that are around us and we're just panicking and going through all this chaos and, and that sort of stuff. It's a lot easier when you're in a peaceful time to sit down and say, here's my roadmap, these are the steps I need to take, and these are the places that I want to go. And so I, I pray and I hope that this lesson tonight will help you find the peace that God wants to give to you on a daily basis so much quicker in Jesus' name. And not only find it in a worship setting or a wonderful service like this tonight, but finding it inside of your household, your car, when you're standing outside in the supermarket, wherever you may be, that the peace of God is truly there. And so I, I believe that God is going to reveal that. I am excited about what he is going to give you. And I'm thankful for those things tonight in Jesus' name. If you, who here, by a show of hands, has read the book of Judges, by chance, read the book of Judges, in the Bible. Yes, it is a book that is not encouraging literature, if you remember it. It's not the best one that says, man, I'm going to read this book to get excited about serving God and his kingdom. Because it's really not full of those feel-good stories that we sometimes like to begin to read about. When you read the book of Judges, you see that Israel time and time again goes down this spiral where, where they are, are at one point serving God and doing absolutely wonderful inside of his kingdom, but then just a day later, they, they decide that they don't like something about God. Maybe the grass wasn't green enough or the food wasn't tasty enough that day or a certain law seems to be a little bit too tough or too harsh for them that day. And so they say, you know what? This God that we're serving, there's other gods that are out here that are a little bit easier to serve. And so as a result, we see them begin to change and serve things like idols and they begin to build stuff and they begin to say, well, we can do this on our own. We don't need God to help us begin to, to, to work through some of this stuff. All throughout that book, you, you see this wishy-washiness of the nation of Israel going from one place to another. And I don't know about you all, but it is absolutely discouraging for me to see that over and over again because you see the, the wonderfulness of God blessing them and then you see that moment when they decide to turn away from it. And it's like you want to reach into the book and say, guys, don't do this. It's going to cause you this big destruction and this horrible situation. And it's going to be tough and harsh upon your lives. And it's not going to be as much fun as it truly looks. But in all reality, there's no way that we can change that. It's history. It's what the people were doing at that particular time. So the book of Judges, we see this wishy-washiness, these things going back and forth. These, this, this scripture sometimes describes it a ship that's tossed to and fro in the waters in some of these particular places. And it gives us a good example of what we must be careful of as apostolic people, as Christians, as people of God. That we are not meant to be ships that are tossed to and fro, but we are meant to be steady in the midst of storms. Not by our own might, but through his might and his foundation inside of our lives. That in situations that are shaking us and rocking us and trying to say, you know what, it's harder to live for God than it is to, to, to live inside of the world. That it's no fun to live for God, but there's fun out there and things inside of the world and that sort of stuff. That when we begin to face some of that, that we say, you know what, I am upon a solid rock and there is peace in this, this rock or inside of the, the, this God that I serve. And so I am not going to turn to other idols or other things to try to replace God inside of my life. It's really beginning to serve as a warning for us. So even though it is a difficult book to read, even though it is hard to read, there are definitely some things in there that are warning us and telling us that we are not to step over certain lines and certain boundaries because it is not the place that we are meant to be. And so we see that the nation of Israel is in oppression at one point, and then they are in deliverance the next point. That there were oftentimes, the reason it's called the book of Judges is that a judge would come 
into the land. And if you all remember from Search for Truth, that Bible study there, the judges at that time weren't somebody who sat with a big black robe with an anvil behind the, there isn't an anvil, the, the hammer that they slammed down behind the counter and saying guilty, not guilty. That wasn't who a judge was, but a judge was somebody who God would rise up in the land to lead the nation into deliverance, to lead them into the place that they needed to go, to tell them, hey, you're doing these things wrong, so this is how we're going to get out of this situation into something new for the kingdom. That's what the judges did during this time. So that's why we see this book that is called the book of Judges. Four times in this book, the writer recognized that there was no king in Israel. This is what scripture says. And twice he followed that statement with this observation, that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You can see that in Judges 17, 18, 19, and 21 in those chapters there that you will see this over and over again, that they did what was right in their own eyes. It begins to sound a lot like situations that we see around us today, right? The world that we live in, the people that are there, uh, there's nobody that's going to tell them how to live or do things or, or that sort of stuff, but they're going to do what's right inside of their own eyes. You know, part of me, I, I'm somewhat thankful for a little bit of this mentality because I think it's part of what makes America America as far as saying that we wanted to become our own country and nation and fight for that. But it becomes dangerous when we say that I am going to live my own life fully by my knowledge and my wisdom and my understanding, that I'm not going to trust in God. I'm not going to let him have any piece of who I need to become or where I need to go. I'm not going to let his word tell me what I need to do tomorrow. I'm not going to listen to, to the, the people inside of the church. I'm not going to listen to my Bible study teacher. I'm not going to do these things. It becomes entirely dangerous when we begin to do that. So this book saying everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It's a dangerous, it's a warning sign. It's something that God stamped there that says, do not touch this, do not go this direction, do not be a part of this. So this leads us to our first question here tonight. How is Israel's moral decline reflected today in our social and political climate? How do y'all think on that? In Jesus' name. What's that, brother? Political correctness. Yes. Right. Yes. Amen. He's consistent. Yes. A consistent God, never changing. We, we can understand that. Trust in that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Amen. Yes. Yes. Amen. He will take care of us. Absolutely. Somebody else have an idea on that. Yes, brother.
Yes, very good. Awesome. Forgetting where we came from. Yes, Jesus' name. Yes, sister. that the nation is still turning towards that ungodliness. Absolutely. Yes, brother. So, in the book of Judges, they weren't really hearing the voice of God because there was no prophets or anything, but there was the judges. So, every time a judge died, then Israel backslid. But I see that in this country today because the more and more we take God out, the less and less people are hearing the hymn. And that's the more and more we see the downfall coming in our country. It's, they fell when they couldn't hear the voice of God. America's falling because it can't hear the voice of God. That's exactly right. Amen. Absolutely. I think these are, are solid points. We, we see it today. That even though it's tough to read the book of Judges and what happened back then, we understand that it's going on alive and well in today's world. And so it takes people that are willing to stand up and say, I'm going to live this way for the kingdom of God. I am going to demonstrate what he has called me to do. I'm going to be an apostolic in this world and proclaim the things that God has asked me to proclaim inside of this world. So that's why I'm thankful to be in an atmosphere like this with you all where we don't have to do this alone. We don't have to be out there uh, as a nation just wandering about, but we have prayer. We have these things that we can seek in Jesus' name, and, and we're going to get into some of that towards the end of this lesson about what we can do to, to see this happen, but ultimately, we don't want to face those same fates of that wishy-washiness, but we want to be charging ahead, always on course with the kingdom of God, and we can do that by binding together in prayer in Jesus' name. And so Gideon, in the middle of this book, is a character that we begin to see uh, come forward. We see that peace only arrived in, in this timid, or, or when this timid and introverted man came to terms with his calling with God. Because if you look and you read this story about Gideon, and we don't have the, the entire time to read all of the story tonight, so I'm just going to kind of summarize it. But in this story, we see that there was a crisis that Gideon had going on inside of his life. That he didn't just immediately accept what God was asking of him to do, but it took some, some, some processing, some work, some steps, trusting in God before he actually went out there and decided that he was going to do what God had asked him to do. And so this crisis of Gideon, we know that it, this, this crisis was as much about him as it was about the spiritual and the political condition of this entire nation. That what God was doing with, with Gideon at this particular point wasn't just about what, uh, what, what God wanted to do inside of his life, but it was also what he wanted to do for this entire nation. That there needed to be an awakening, a, 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 a newness inside of this nation. That Gideon was having this crisis inside of his life, that he did not feel he was the one who was called, the one who was meant to be, the one who was supposed to be doing these things of God. But God was trying to show him that you are the one that is meant to be doing these things, and you can have faith in me throughout this time. But he was also demonstrating that to the nation, that even though this nation had completely torn things about and done things completely mixed up, that God wanted to impact them as well and let them be drawn out of their own mindset and their own own ideas in this particular circumstance. And so that brings us to the scripture here where the angel of the Lord appears unto Gideon and he said unto him, the Lord is with you, thou mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you, thy mighty man of valor. Now it's interesting to me because I think that if we all put ourselves in the shoes of Gideon, that we would say, man, you know what? <clears throat> if, if God brought an angel to my household, and, and, and he announced these things before me, that man, right away I would feel the power of the Holy Ghost, and I would say, I am going to go out there, and I'm going to do this for the kingdom of God. But that was not what Gideon immediately felt inside of this. He, he felt uh, somewhat of that humility that we were talking about last time, but not only that, he, he felt inferior. He, he felt like he was not the one that was truly meant to be the one that was going to do these incredible things for this nation. He was a man of insecurity who dared not believe that God 
was present to do anything inside of their situation. He had lived during the time and the downfall of this nation. He had lived when people were messing things up and serving these idols. He had lived as this other nation came in and completely desolated their land and took their sheep and their flocks and, 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 and their, their food and all these things. He lived during this time and currently he was just doing his best to try to hold on to what he could so that he could live the next day or the day after that. And so for Gideon to say, man, I'm going to have faith that God is going to completely change this about would, would maybe take some convincing if you're living in that time or that despair for quite a while. You, you can think about how tough it would be if you did not know what tomorrow was going to bring, how, how tough it would be to quickly snap yourself out of that and say, you know what, instantly I believe that God can provide me a meal inside of this particular circumstance. So Gideon inside of some of this was insecure and, and he just wasn't feeling what this angel had told him, whether it was because of the situation or maybe it was just because he was depressed or maybe it was just because he just felt that he truly wasn't meant to be the leader that this angel was calling him to be. But he still knew that he needed to ask some questions. So this call comes to Gideon, the call of Gideon. And sorry, I didn't read verse 13 there. But it says this, that Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all the miracles which our fathers told of us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. He's asking these questions to this angel. He's saying, You've said something incredible here, but I have not seen it yet. You're telling me that this is something that is going to happen, but I don't know that I can trust those words because they've said that God is with us during this turmoil and this tough time, but I haven't seen it. That we've been delivered from this nation of Israel and this bondage, but we're right back in some more bondage as a result of that. So where is this that you're talking to me about? What is happening? Why are you coming to me and approaching me with these things? You can see the concern that Gideon has in these circumstances. And so this call begins to be placed on his life. It was direct and clear, but God was patient with Gideon's negative responses. It was direct and clear to Gideon that he was to begin to, to lead this nation, but he did not believe that, and he began to have negative responses to the things that God had brought before him. The Midianites were ultimately stronger. They were well-fed, and they were numerous compared to the people of Israel. This calling had to be more than an apparition or the delusion of a half-starved man grasping for a solution. Maybe Gideon was saying, man, I've been pretty hungry for a few days. I don't know if I actually saw that angel here. Maybe it's something that I'm thinking inside of my own head. Has anybody ever thought that when you felt maybe God is telling you to do something? You're thinking, well, maybe I imagined that. Maybe, maybe uh, you know, that person in the grocery store that I was asked to go pray for, maybe I imagined that, so maybe it's not true. And we say some of those things. But as God, or, uh, not as God, but as Pastor Carnahan says sometimes, that we, uh, you know, those thoughts are things that our flesh certainly isn't going to tell us to do because our flesh is absolutely not going to like doing that. It's not something that Satan's going to tell you to do because he doesn't want that person to be saved. So what does that leave us with? It leaves us with the gift of the Holy Spirit, that if those things line up with Scripture and, and, and our flesh would be opposed to it, if Satan would be opposed to it, then it very likely is God asking us to do those things and step out to begin to do them. It's the call that Gideon was beginning to experience in, inside of his life that, man, the, these things around us look so much stronger. And maybe I'm delusional, but I, I'm, I'm feeling that this angel's telling me that we need to begin to go and take hold of some of this stuff. It was a challenge that maybe he had there. But God had confidence in Gideon, not just in what he would become, but in who he presently was. God wasn't just saying, Gideon, you're going to become a, a great man, but Gideon, you are who I want right now at this particular moment in time. God was really trying to encourage Gideon and be patient with him, even in the midst of all of these questions. You can see in this story that sometimes it's not bad to ask God questions inside of circumstances. But it doesn't mean that Gideon absolutely went out there and defied God. He, he listened and he was willing to listen to the response that God gave to him so that he was not just letting his own thoughts lead him inside of this circumstance. 
We see in more scripture inside of the story here in Judges 6 and 14, it says this, And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent you? Have I not sent you? Another version of this says, I am, or, or, or am I not sending you to do this? God's telling Gideon, man, you, you see these big things around you, but I am ready to use you to see the miraculous done inside of this nation. You may feel weak and disqualified. You may feel like you're in a place where you cannot do this, but I am telling you that I am sending you, Gideon, not the person next in line, but you, Gideon, are the one that is meant to walk into the circumstance and take hold of it. Yet even in the midst of this, Gideon was still not convinced. And it was ironic that God chose to appear to the one who was most inadequate in his own estimation. But we see that time and time again inside of Scripture. That often the one, the person who thinks that they're the most inadequate, the least qualified for a particular circumstance is the one that God will begin to use in that circumstance. The next scripture in Judges 6 and 15 says this, And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. He's continuing to create these excuses, kind of like Moses did in some of these places here. That out of all of my family, my family's weak, but out of that weak family, I am even weaker than everybody else that is inside of that household. I'm not the strongest one. I'm not the bravest one. I'm not the most courageous one. God, you have messed up. You sent the mail to the wrong house. The, the address is wrong. Maybe the number was flipped upside down on the outside. I don't know. But God, you have messed up when you came to my house. Gideon is still not convinced that he is the one that is going to begin to lead this. And maybe at this point, we can estimate that maybe there's a little bit of fear rising up inside of him saying, man, Maybe I am the one that God's going to have do this. And I have no clue how I'm ever going to be able to do this. Maybe he's beginning to say, this is a big task. And I'm a little worried about how I'm going to do this. Because this is huge for me. The weakest man of my family. You see, we say this phrase over and over again. That God qualifies those who he calls. But sometimes when he calls the qualified, he still has to convince them that they have the ability to accomplish their mission, that they have the ability to begin marching forward. God wants to do that tonight for you, that there's a mission, I believe, inside of your household, inside of your life, inside of your job site, that maybe you haven't felt qualified enough to begin to reach out and speak for somebody, to pray for somebody, to begin to move something in your life, to pray against an opposition that may be inside of your life. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's something that is there. There's missions that God has put in every single one of our lives. But I believe here tonight that he wants to tell you, you are more than qualified to begin to take the steps that you need to take inside of that mission that he has given to you. I believe that he has clarified it. I believe that he has spoken it into your life. And I don't have time to speak that to every single person here tonight. But I believe that this is confirmation for somebody here tonight that God is saying he has given you your mission and you are ready to start stepping out on it in faith. You have the Holy Ghost and you can believe in that in Jesus' name to take those steps forward in Jesus' name. That if he has called you to do it, then he will be there with you to see it through in Jesus' name. He will absolutely qualify that in those things there. And so this leads us to this consolation of Gideon. And it says this in Judges 6 and 16, that the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with you, and thou will smite the Midianites as one man. That you will smite this nation, these people who have been stealing from you, these people who have been rummaging your camp, these people who are stronger than you and well-fed at this particular point. Gideon, you are the one who is going to lead this revolt that is going to completely smash these people that are here before it. Gideon, even inside of this, still asks God to give him a sign. 
If God is with us, we can be assured of his ability to accomplish the calling, no matter how impossible circumstances seem to be around us. And so Gideon prayed, God, give me a sign. He began to prepare an offering of goat meat and broth. And he began to put this upon a rock and, and, and pour these things upon one another. As he did this, the angel of the Lord touched it with his staff in a fire suddenly sprang up, consuming the sacrifice. If you remember the temple, what would happen inside of that, that they would, uh, you know, or the, the tabernacle there, that they would uh, put that offering inside of that place and God would consume it with that fire instantly. So here Gideon sees this in this flash that God consumes this offering that he has made on this rock here. And he begins to say, you know what? Without a doubt, I'm believing what God is telling me now. It takes all of these sentences of, of uh, questioning and talking to God for him to finally realize that God wants to use him to overcome this nation that is there. Gideon suddenly knew that he had spoken to God face to face. And now he was overcome with fear for his own life because he felt that he had argued with God and may be in danger of his own life because of what he had questioned at that particular moment. You see the incredible respect that these people had for God during this time, the incredible respect and, 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 and uh, envy that they had for, for God and his kingdom, that they would wanted to glorify him. But the cool thing is that God was quick to assure Gideon that he was not going to die, that he had not messed things up so bad that he was not going to die. And so Gideon, if you think about this, you put yourself inside of his shoes, you go from this uh, meshing these things in the, the floor there and saying, man, the Midianites may come and steal this and, and my family doesn't have any food of just being depressed and in this horrible state. You go from that to this angel coming to you telling you that you are going to lead this, this revolt against the Midianites and completely destroy them and thinking, man, I'm not qualified for that. Why are you even telling me this? I don't have the ability to do this to the point where you're beginning to ask questions and saying, God, are you really serious about what you're asking me now? I don't think it's even true. To God confirming it in front of you with a fire that comes and consumes your offering and the excitement that comes with it, that God is truly telling me this. But then the fear of saying, man, I was questioning God and, and what he was telling me. That he was saying I can do the impossible and I was questioning these circumstances. You can see the fear that might have been inside of Gideon. But you can imagine the excitement of when God came in and said, Gideon, don't worry about it. You're not going to die as a result of that. I said, you are the one that is going to lead this nation out. And the excitement that came to Gideon at that moment, you can just imagine the power that was there of saying, you know what, God, I have faith that you are going to do this through me. I have faith that you are not going to kill me. I have faith, God, that you are going to deliver not only me and my household, but my brothers and sisters and the people who have been put under the thumb of this enemy for far too long. Gideon was probably overwhelmed with excitement at that particular moment. But there also had to be an incredible peace that began to settle on him saying, there is nothing to worry about tomorrow or the next day. There is nothing to worry about with this enemy that has been downtrodden on you. There is nothing to worry about with God. But right now is a peaceful moment inside of Gideon's life. So Gideon builds this altar. He built an altar there. An altar that we had already mentioned meant the Lord is peace, as the scripture says. Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is peace. And this title became one that would be remembered many times after this. This would be a place for sacrifice, a place that which was offered in worship was dedicated unto the Lord. It'd be a place named peace, because it may seem odd that he would dedicate a place called the Lord is Peace while Israel's families were under attack and they were living in times of oppression and conflict. Somebody may say, Gideon, you're crazy, man, to name this altar, this place, a place of peace when we're inside of these circumstances and this turmoil. 
Probably the closest thing that I can relate it to is maybe when sometimes we're involved in a circumstance at the hospital and it seems like things are just depressing and quickly spinning around and all of that. But you walk into that hospital chapel and you can just begin to feel a little bit of peace inside of that place. There's stillness. There's a calm that is there. That is what Gideon was doing in the midst of the storm that was around him. And the last thing that this altar would become is a place that remained. As Brother Carlos said so clearly earlier, that sometimes we forget the places we have been, the things that God has done for every one of us. And so we should always decide that we are going to build an altar inside of our lives. We can't build physical altars, but we can definitely build spiritual altars where we can remind ourselves over and over again that, man, I was in a place where I thought that it would be impossible, where the enemy had overrun me, where my family was downtrodden and we didn't know what to do. But God came into that circumstance and I began to feel his overwhelming peace and he told me I was going to defeat that enemy so I got down on my knees and began to pray and my family defeated that enemy and now we have a household that is a household of peace you should build an altar on something like that to say man when my family walks through the door I want them to know that this is a place of peace every time that they walk into this household in Jesus name you see the importance of what Gideon was doing here I know that this was a physical altar that he built but we can build spiritual altars saying that our God is the God of our entire lives. Every circumstance, everything that we have faced, what we have went through, the pieces that are there. We want these to be places that remain so that we don't just forget them the next time that we go through a situation or turmoil or these hurts inside of our lives. We see this in that scripture at the beginning, that the reason we know that this is a place that remain is it said, unto this day, it is yet in Ophrah of the A, capital A, that word there, that crazy place. But it's saying unto this day, it's yet there in this particular place, a place that remained. And so there are places to remember for the past faithfulness of God and to inspire future faith inside of us. We can say this if our fathers begin to build places like this for us, altars inside of the household. We can say this if we as current fathers begin to build this in our household, these altars that we have overcome and God has begun to do things. We can pass this on to generations after us because they will begin to see those altars and say, you know what, if that happened for my father, my grandfather, somebody else inside of the church, then that's an altar that I can build inside of my life. The God that did that for him, man, he's a God that can do something for me in my life as well in Jesus' name. And so let me ask you a question. I've skipped a few here just because of time tonight. But are there places in your spiritual experience that you look back to as reminders of God's faithfulness? Does anybody have those here tonight? Reminders, altars in your past that you look back to and you remember? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Anybody else have an altar that they want to share? That God has reminded you of who he is over and over again? Place that you built? Jesus' name? I know we've all probably spoken about the altar of peace. Yes, brother. Yes. Yes, yes. He's the God of protection. We can build an altar of things. Jesus' name. Yes, sister. Restoration. Altar of restoration. Yes. He restores things that are taken and destroyed. Or, Amen. Yeah, you think it's over and he turns something beautiful, more beautiful out of it. Yeah. Amen. And 
What great altars to pass by over and over again. Restoration, knowing that God has your family. You walk out the door and say, God, you have these things in Jesus' name. Every morning, I mean, that's it's, it's the greatness about building an altar just like Gideon did here. Somebody else have something that maybe is encouraging for, for somebody. Please. Yes, brother. Absolutely. You can praise him every day. In Jesus' name. Amen. I won't belabor here, but absolutely, we can build these altars, these places unto God. And so, some methods that we may employ on this, I want to give you a few of these tonight. To find the peace of Christ in times of crisis. I, I wanted to get to this because I wanted to leave this open as, as much as I possibly could. Or, give it as much time here, but these are the things that we can use to find peace of Christ in times of crisis. I know that we've been speaking about Gideon in this time here, and, and you know, absolutely turmoil that was going on inside of his life when the angel stepped in and said, Gideon, this is your mission, this is what is going to happen. And believe me, peace began to settle and, and, and do some incredible things there. So the first one here is to create a personal place of prayer. I think all of us, if we uh, have been here long enough, I think we all inside of this room have, but we would probably say, duh, that is the most obvious one that is out there. But unfortunately, it is probably the one that is most neglected among uh, Christians, among God's people. That we say prayer is an essential part of our lives, but it becomes a very neglected place. Now, the reason that prayer is something that is so strong or can help us so well is that if you think about it inside of the, the parable that Jesus laid out there where we build our house upon a rock because when the storm comes, we don't want that house to fall. When Jesus gave that parable, he's speaking about being upon a foundation that is already built, a foundation that is already solid, something that is already there. Ultimately, if, if, if that foundation is Jesus or that foundation is his word or that foundation is prayer, we must choose ourselves to get onto that foundation before we will be sturdy enough to withstand those things that are around us. The great thing about prayer is that if we are constantly saying whether life is going completely good or life is going completely wrong, I am going to pray to God every single day, then it will begin to prepare us for that storm in every single circumstance. It will begin to put us upon that foundation so that when the sun is shining, man, we're enjoying it and it's a wonderful time inside of the kingdom of God. But when that storm begins to come and hit and bash against that rock, it, 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 we know that storm storms going on and it may be scary at particular moments but in prayer we can say I have faith that God is here and I have peace inside of that because he has told me that if I built my house upon this rock that it would not fall in the midst of the storm. You can see why it is essential to begin to develop and have that daily walk in relationship with God in prayer because it is so much easier that, that when you're inside of a tough situation to, to automatically say well God's got this if you have been doing that in the easy situation it's easy to do it during the hard situation as well that's why in, in, in tough situations, in stressful situations, military and all these different places, you train and you train and you train when things are easy, when you can make mistakes, when you can fall and do, do these sort of things so that when you get in the midst of the storm, you begin to think, man, this is just like the training and it's just as easy and so I'm going to walk right through this and, and begin to, to overcome this. It's the, it's the same thing with prayer that, man, I'm going to participate in it right now. I'm going to connect with God. I'm going to learn how to connect with him so that when life and troubles and the dark clouds and all that is storming around me, I can stand there and say, I've done this when it was easy and it's just as easy now. I'm going to connect with God and I'm going to believe that he has me in the midst of this storm in Jesus' name. So create a personal place of prayer. Scripture says this in Psalm 91, 1 through 2. It says that uh, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I will trust. 
He's our God that we have that trust in to say, man, you know what? He's that, that rock that is going to, to hold this storm away from me. He's that God that even though in the midst of these horrible things going on, I'm still going to be able to stand and resist what may be happening there in Jesus' name. The only way we can do that is through prayer. I think you all have experienced it in the prayer room in the back or even the prayer room that we have out here now uh, before services that you come in here and maybe it's been a long week but you can step in here and as Pastor Carnahan said Sunday that this is a place that is protected by God and by his angels and we are so thankful of that. You can walk in here and just begin to feel the peace of God and, and, and you can just begin to pray unto God and it's not like it's labor. At first when I was praying when I was younger I'd be like man I have to go to prayer for this time and it's so hard and it's so tough but now I get to the place where I'm saying man God I want to be in that place with you because if I miss it then I am so thirsty and I'm so desiring that place of that of peace in Jesus name that I desire to be there and then the cool thing is that it doesn't just stop here but it begins to go out the door on your car ride home into your household in the middle of the night all these different things in Jesus name it's so neat what prayer can do so if we desire the peace of Christ in, in, in our, our lives in times of crisis, prayer is what you need to do. And if you struggle with praying in the midst of hard circumstances, well, then, then maybe you need to begin to look at, are you praying in the times where it's easy? Because it, it's, it's going to be difficult to pray in crisis if you have not prepared yourself prior to that in Jesus' name. Number two on this list, it says to commit yourself to God's calling. Commit yourself to God's calling. Psalms 37 says this, Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. Commit your ways unto God. Meaning, give it over to Him and say, God, your path is the one that I desire to follow. Not the one that I have created, the idea that I have formed in my mind about what you think I should be doing or where I should be walking in Jesus' name. But I am going to commit my life to you, my entire way, and I'm going to let you begin to form a path before me. And then it says, trust also in him. So when he forms that path before you, it may look daunting and challenging. It may be a huge mountain up in the big horns or whatever these places around us. It may look like it is a tough rock and impossible to climb. But if God has put it there, you got to trust in him that he is going to bring it to pass inside of your life. I remember Cloud Peak, when we were looking at that, thinking about maybe we could do this in one day, this crazy thought was rolling around. The thing that pushed me over the edge was when I spoke to, this uh, happened to be an attorney that I was sitting next to, and I was just kind of talking to him about this, and he said, yeah, I did it in one day. I was thinking, well, here's somebody who has done it in one day, so it means it's possible. And now we can go out there and begin to do it. That's why it's neat to have people around us like, like we do inside of this church. Because we can begin to say, you know what, God has put this path before me. Do, do you think it's even possible? Do you think it's even real? And a brother could come along beside you and say, you know what, God led me down that same path. And he helped me and he gave me the way and the strength to overcome that, to rise above that. And then you can begin like Gideon to say, man, maybe this is possible to do this. Maybe I do have the strength and the ability to take on these things that God is asking me to take on in Jesus' name. Maybe I do have enough faith to begin to go to the places that God wants me to in Jesus' name. But not only that, but when you commit yourself to God's calling, the peace that you have of saying, I am in the will of God is so much stronger than going out in the world and having fun and pleasures there and going home and saying, man, I have no clue where I am at right now because I am completely lost in this particular circumstance. When you hear God's calling, you commit to it, then you can say, God, I am walking along this and I can rest assured that you're going to bring it to pass, that you are here with me, that you have a light on my path and Jesus, you are going to take me all the way through it and it shall not harm me in Jesus' name. There's a million and one scriptures that you can speak to this, but committing yourself to God's calling is definitely going to be bringing that peace of God into your life. It may be turmoil around you, but believe me, the peace that's inside of you can help you through that turmoil that's going on around you in Jesus' name. Number three is to confirm that he is with you and that he is your peace. 
that he is with you and he is your peace, the peace that is helping you. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. Again, just speaking to that, that, that peace that is inside of us isn't something that we have created by our own uh, thoughts or admonition, by positive thinking, by the way that we do some of these things. That this peace isn't what we have created just because of our comfortable levels and certain circumstances and all of that. But this peace is something that God has put inside of our lives. The great thing about that is that we know that there is nothing that can take the peace of God from us except ourselves cutting it off from our own lives in Jesus' name. But if God pours his peace inside of us, that can be guarded, it can protect us, and it can say, man, I can feel peaceful even when I am just disrupted and I have no clue and things just don't make sense in life. We can have peace inside of those circumstances. There's some people that may begin to call that, that cold or, or, or harsh or whatever it may be that you're crazy because you can stand so still when things are going so wild and they're saying you should be doing something about the current circumstance, but you can know that it's the peace of God that is inside of you that is holding you and withstanding those circumstances there in Jesus' name. And the fourth thing that we see on the screen here is that we continue a lasting legacy of devotion. A lasting legacy of of devotion. That not only does it impact us, but it impacts people around us. We have Pentecostal pioneers before us, people who have walked in these things over and over and over again. And you hear their stories of going to these foreign countries, these nations, people like Billy Cole and Lee Stone King, and I mean, all these people that we look up to, and we hear the faith stories of what God did inside of some of their circumstances. You have to believe that some of those would be absolutely frightening. And the story I told you last week of Billy Cole just having one dollar and the cruise ship had left with all of their belongings and all they had was one dollar to get from the country they were in to the country that God had called them to be. You have to bet that that would be a pretty intimidating, scary circumstance that was there. But the peace of God inside of that says, you know what? I called you to that country. Just let me handle these things that are going on. Just let me begin to take you to the places that you need to go. The impact of our devotion during these times of crisis will be an enduring memorial and a lasting witness to our families and our friends. Moses commanded to only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself lest you forget the things your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And to teach them to your children and to your grandchildren. He was speaking something, even though it was part of the Old Testament, applies very well to us in the New Testament. We say, God, I want to demonstrate to my children, to my family, to my friends, to my coworkers, that even in the midst of harshness and these other things, that you are a God of peace and that you can restore people even in the midst of all of those places, that we can still smile inside of those places. We can do this because we know that the God of peace is present. Let's see if I can click this here. There we go. That the God of peace, he is present. We can do these things because we know he is present. He is eternally present and he is with us. He is the I am that I am that the scripture spoke about many times before this. He is Jesus Christ, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what he did for them back then, he is certainly going to allow to happen today, especially since we have the gift of the Holy Ghost inside of us that can begin to show us so much more than what these people experienced back in that day in Jesus' name. I am so thankful that we have that ability of the Holy Ghost. We can believe his promises in Jesus' name. That promise of Jehovah Shalom, that promise that is there. And we can resist the temptation to surrender to the face of trouble because he has promised to prepare a place for us that one day we will walk into and it's going to be an absolutely incredible time where we can have the greatest feeling of peace that we have ever had in, in, in ever in, in eternity. I mean, it's just impossible to explain. 
But we can trust in those promises that he has a place of peace for us that we one day will begin to walk into. We can embrace that peace that he has given to us. Because we do have a choice in this matter of whether or not we want peace to be inside of our lives. But the scripture says this, let not your heart be troubled. The reason it says this is because the unbridled mind will wander into the deep abyss of fear and depression so quick that we, it loses our, through our fingers and we can't grab a hold of it and it becomes this master the confusion inside of our lives. I think we all can speak and know people and maybe somebody says, I am one of those. Every has great story leaves you with something. Prior to this. And this is my relic. This envelope may not Jesus seem Christ, like much. Support it, Jesus' name. I told you, it's the will of God. But our mind will slip and, and go through this and begin to, to just go to these places and this, this wildness if we're not careful. So we must embrace his peace inside of our lives. John 14 and 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. But let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Things that Jesus is saying over and over and over again. And the reason I believe he emphasizes this so many times is because it is just such a huge distraction for us when we are sitting there fretting and fearing what tomorrow will bring because we're not thinking Every about the good things that God can would do. Would you just begin to express to God that you want him to speak to you today? I don't know. We could just let it be in Jesus' name if you want to. But, but the reason he is emphasizing these things over and over again is that we, if we don't let peace be inside of our lives, then we can't think about the goodness that God truly wants to do because we're just worried about all of the bad and the evil that's inside of this world. But if we have peace of God inside of us, we're saying, God, you can do something great. I am still in the midst of this storm, and I am calm enough to see what you want to do to take me through this storm, to take other people through this storm. It begins to clear your thoughts so that you can be begin to pray what needs to be prayed and what needs to be spoken. The last one on the list there is to resist the temptation of anxiety, to resist that temptation that is there because it is absolutely a temptation for people to get in the midst of. I have seen this over and over again that people can become addicted to anxiety inside of their lives, whether it's a prideful thing of getting uh, attraction from other people or whether they just love the feeling of being anxious all the time. I am not speaking lightly to some, some circumstances, and I know that there's some things out there that, that people do need help with, so please don't feel that I am putting down any of those things there. But there is absolutely a temptation of anxiety that we can resist, that we can pray against, because fearful fretting produces anxious nervousness, which is the complete opposite of what God desires for every one of our lives. As that scripture, the word that we read there, shalom, it's wholeness, completeness, harmony, prosperity, welfare, and tranquility, all of which God desires for every single one of us. And we can have peace in God knowing that those things are there. I'll read you one last scripture here tonight, and I thank you, Sister C. In Philippians uh, chapter 4 and verses 6 through 7, it says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer, what do we talk about brings peace into life? By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It will pass all our understanding that, man, I shouldn't feel so good in the midst of such turmoil, that it's going to keep our hearts and our minds through Jesus Christ. We can trust in that as Gideon did. That there was a point when Gideon realized, man, there's a big task ahead of me and I'm weak, but God's asking me to do this. And so I'm going to build an altar and say, I am peaceful about what God is asking me to do. Every he has told great me story leaves That he will not leave me in Jesus' name. So I'll finish this by reading these last paragraphs. After a few initial challenges, Paul's second missionary journey began when Paul invited Silas to accompany him. Things went well at first, and they began visiting encouraging believers and spreading the gospel into new areas. However, when they proposed to go into the providence of Asia, the Holy Spirit prevented it. Then they sought to visit uh, by, by, by Athenia, 
but against the Spirit stopped their plans. Finally, in Troas, Paul received direction through a vision. He saw a man pleading to him, saying, Come over to Macedonia to help us. They immediately made plans to go, concluding that God had given his vision for direction. And even when following the call of God, there may be opposition, conflict, and trouble that weigh heavy on our emotional and physical stamina. Though Paul and Silas had great results in Macedonia, beginning at Philippi, they were also arrested, beaten, chained, and imprisoned. Even after the miraculous deliverance through the earthquake prison break, there there was continuous conflict with many in the region. This is what Paul referred to when writing to the Corinthians. He confided, When we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, he comforted us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Not everything goes according to our plans. That is life. They commonly use explanation when things go awry. And often as Christians, we talk in glowing terms about how wonderful life is when you know Jesus. That is absolutely true. However, that is not the complete picture of the Christian life. Christians still have challenges, conflicts, mood swings, disappointments, and fears. The difference is in our opportunity to take our problems to the Lord in prayer and to experience His peace. When fears assail, when conflicts abound, and when all seems lost, remember that God is our consolation. The God of peace, He is our comfort. In Jesus' name. If we could stand today, I'm thankful for what He has shown us. And I'm believing this week that you're going to face some circumstances and know that the God of peace is there with you to help you through it in Jesus' name. And he's going to give you a clear mind and direction to know what you need to do and to work through that in Jesus' name. Let's just lift our hands and believe that tonight. God, we are so thankful for this word that you have spoken to us, Lord, that you are the Lord of peace in our lives. And just as Gideon built that altar and you consumed that, I believe, Jesus, tonight that you have given missions to these people here, God, that they want the Holy Ghost, God, to receive that baptism in Jesus' name, God, that these things here are our mission, God. And before us, we believe and have peace, God, that even in the midst of the storm, that you can draw us into those places where we can experience your depths and your heights, God. These places where we can see you more clearly than ever before, God. I am believing that even in the midst of the circumstances that these people are facing, God, that this church is facing, that you are a God of peace, God. And we can rest assured that you have it in your hands, God. That you will not fail us, you will not leave us, and you will not leave us unprotected, God. But you will take care of the enemy, God. So we can stand strong in who you are. And God, I am so thankful, God, for that revelation that you have given tonight in this place, God. I am so thankful, God, for what we have seen here in this place tonight, God. I am so thankful for that peace that you have poured upon everyone that is here tonight. In Jesus' name, God, we thank you for it. We believe you for it, Jesus. And we give you all the honor and the glory Glory for that tonight in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah, Jesus.